0: Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, recorded live at 2828 Crossover in Fayetteville, Arkansas. For notes and resources accompanying this teaching, visit gracechurchnwa.org. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Good morning, everyone. My name is John Ray. I'm an elder here at Grace Church and get to facilitate the teaching team. Very grateful to be here with you this morning. I'm going to apologize in advance. My, the allergies are wreaking havoc with my throat this morning, so I'm going to have to talk very monotone as we go. A uh, little quiz to start off. This number. You going to throw that up there, Aaron, that first slide? Who knows what this number means? Jackie Robinson. Okay, Jackie Robinson, number 42. Right off, there's the nerd, the nerd factor right off with that. In his masterful work, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, Douglas Adams uh, tells the story of a, an advanced race of people who create a supercomputer called Deep Thought. And they go to the supercomputer and they, and they create it to answer this one question, What is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And the computer thinks about it and calculates it for seven and a half million years. And after seven and a half million years, the people show up eager to finally know what the answer to life, the universe, and everything in it means. And the computer tells them they're not going to like the answer, (laughs) because the answer that the computer gives is 42 now, I wonder, and the people are, are immensely disappointed in this, of course, right? They, they don't know what to do with this. They're disappointed. And as I, as I contemplated that story in, in the message this week, I wonder sometimes if we don't have a similar reaction. I mean, we talk a lot about the gospel being good news, but oftentimes I don't know that we receive it as such. Oftentimes I wonder if our response to God's answer, the gospel, to life, the universe, and everything in it. The answer, the ultimate answer, if we're not similarly confused. Confused both in the depth of its meaning, in the breadth of its meaning, but also confused as how to respond to it. Confused of what to do with it. And that's the question, I think, that Paul is addressing in the book of Romans. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we're currently looking, after three years of studying the synoptic Gospels, how did those original hearers receive the Word? That first generation of people who did not have direct contact with Jesus but had contact with his apostles, had contact with the disciples, had contacts with the disciples' disciples, who were one, two, three generations removed, three steps removed from Jesus. But they heard the stories, and the Spirit was moving among them. What did they do with that? How did they respond to it? Another way to ask that is, how did they become the church? Well, we've looked at it from a number of ways. We've got two more Sundays. I'm really excited about the next two Sundays, which we look at the Bereans and the Philippians, how they received it. But this week we're looking at the Romans. Now, you crack open the book of Romans, volumes have been written. Libraries have been written on the book of Romans. There's no way possible that we can encapsulate what the book says. So we're going to look at one specific Part of it, two verses out of the whole book that Paul uses to set the tone for what I believe he is saying. And in, in, as we were studying, Randall um, this week made the comment that the book of Romans is not is not a late in life revelation for Paul. The book of Romans is something that has been processed through years of ministry, of hardship, of joy. And he comes to, to, when he comes to write Romans, he's encapsulating or he's trying to, to distill the revelation that he has been living out over the years since the Damascus Road experience. And he writes to the church. And again, the, the letter is, is so broad, is so vast, that we can only get a glimpse of it. But he writes to the church these words as he starts the letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A hundred and forty-two times in the New Testament, Paul uses the word faith. All of the other authors, all of the other books mention faith about a hundred times. Paul, a hundred and forty-two times just in his writing, makes this the centerpiece, I would argue, of what he intends, what he sees, what he understands, of how we respond to the gospel, of how we take in, process through, and live out the message of the gospel. And so we're going to ask three questions as we look at this. We're going to look at three, three ways of understanding this. First, that the gospel is the ultimate answer Of how we are to live our lives. This is the answer. The answer is not 42. (laughs) The answer is the gospel. How we are to live our lives. And that faith is the only legitimate way. To respond to the gospel message. And finally faith is most fully expressed and understood. In living faithfully. So pray with me as we begin to look through this. Holy Spirit, we stop and we make ourselves present. You're here. Holy Spirit, you're here. Help anything that is said be filtered through that presence. That nothing that I say would confuse or distract. But your word would be spoken into each spirit here, each person. And that as a church together, your dwelling among us would bring you glory, would bring you fame among the nations, would bring healing to our community, into this world that is so ripped by violence and hatred, that is so assaulted on every side. that you, God, would be known, that your answer would be proclaimed and received. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you've gone to any length in studying the Bible, you'll, you'll be familiar with the term Pax Romana. The Pax Romana was the peace, the peace, the put that in quotes, the peace that extended among the Roman Empire that allowed, many theologians, historians say, for the spread of the gospel. That the Romans in their, in their conquest, often bloodthirsty conquest, at the same time had established a system of roads, a system of barrier-free travel among most of the Western civilized world at that point. And this allowed for the spread of the gospel. But I learned a new term this week as I was studying this, and that is, uh, and correct me if my Latin is incorrect here, but uh, the pax deorum, which is also could be translated the peace of the gods. Because the Romans, as well as when they came in and they established political rule, they established religious order. They allowed conquered people to continue the worship of their own gods as long as they also likewise paid homage to the Roman gods. And by the time of Jesus, the the chief son of God at this time was Caesar. And so the Pax Deorum was maintained four ways. It was maintained by the Maintenance of harmonious, this harmonious relationship with the gods. Because what they believed in this, what they believed is that, hey, if we have peace with the gods, then we will have peace. We will have prosperity. Our civilization, our business, our, our family ventures, all that is dependent upon the goodwill of the gods. So we need to keep peace with the gods. So they did this by their worship, by sacrifice and prayer at the temples, the various temples of the various gods. They did it by fulfilling their vows and oaths. Vows and oaths were a strong, um, very seriously taken in this culture. So if you made a vow, if you made an oath, you had to fulfill that in order to keep peace with the gods. There was also ritual cleansing that had to go on that often involved animal sacrifice. A town, if something bad happened, it had to be cleansed by blood, cows, Pigs, goats, animals, with that. And then the last thing was just obedience. Obedience to the will of the gods. And as I said earlier, that was often reflected in Caesar. Sound like anything else? This pax deorum? As I studied that, I was, I was struck by how similar that seems to the Old Testament law. How somehow maintaining vows, offering sacrifice, giving worship to the God, to Yahweh, ensured peace, ensured prosperity. And what we see is that as human beings, whether we receive revelation from God or whether we are left to our own devices apart from the biblical tradition, we feel a sense of the need to be justified somehow. The need somehow to curry favor or make up for wrongdoing. That there's just something inherent in our being that seems to feel guilty or to feel at least inadequate and the need of help of gods or the gods to maintain us. In to this Into this situation comes the good news. Comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Comes this message that it is not the blood of bulls and sheep, that it is not the keeping of vows, that it is not the perfection of our praise or the purity of our obedience. But it is the person of Jesus who makes us right, who offers us justification. The message of the gospel was not just another higher level of maintaining order by some form of work or obedience. No, it was a declaration that all of that had been done for us that we were indeed free of those obligations. Free of those obligations. That no longer was it up to us, no longer was it up to my works, my obedience, my doing this, but it had been done for me in the person of Jesus. That now I was free to do the things that are right, the things that are good, the things that are praiseworthy, but not with fear of not doing them good enough or often enough or in the right way because they had already been done. This righteousness of God, and I want to read this because it's so central to the gospel. It is so central to our understanding of our personhood, of our relationship with God, of who we are, of what we are called to believe. I want to read this in detail and please listen. The teaching notes that we send out every week, there's no way we can say everything in here. The teaching notes that we send out every week with with the different links of the places where we get these things, of other things, please spend time there. Please consider these things. Please come to your own conclusions. Don't trust me just because I have a microphone. Dig for yourself. But this is in the teaching notes, and it's a quote says, if God justifies a sinner, it does not mean that he finds reason to prove that he was right. Far from it. It does not even mean at this point that he makes the sinner a good person. It means that God treats the sinner as if that person had not been a sinner at all. Instead of treating the person as a criminal to be obliterated, God treats them as a child to be loved. That is what justification means. It means that God reckons us not as his enemies or servants or slaves, beings that have to adhere to a certain rule of conduct or level of sacrifice in order to earn God's grace means he reckons us not as his enemies, but as his friends. Not as bad people deserve, but as good people deserve. Not as lawbreakers to be punished, but as men and women to be loved. That is the very essence of the gospel. That is what Paul was not ashamed of. That was the news that so broke him, and then reassembled him, that he went throughout the, his known world at that time and suffered every indignity, every sacrifice, every situation so that he could proclaim it. That was how he was metabolizing the message of Jesus through the Spirit. And it was salvation to everyone who received it. And it is salvation to us as we receive it. But what does it mean to receive it? What does it mean to believe the gospel? What does it mean to receive this gospel? Well, it means to have faith. And, and listen, when we talk about this, it's so, it's so hard at times, right? People tell you, you know, um, you're going through a situation. Well, Just have faith. I mean, sometimes you just want to punch them when they say that, right? Yeah, come on. It is. It's like, what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith? Well, first of all, we have to understand, we begin to understand that as opposed to what we just talked about. Uh, Kind of the seminary description of this is that Christianity was a unique faith event. When it showed up, when this declaration that you are justified by faith. Not by sacrifice. Not by works. Not by obedience. Not by vows. Not by ceremonies. Not by rituals. Not by performance. Not by race. But you're justified by faith. That that was unique. And it continues to be unique. And it continues to be one of the hardest things that we 2,000 years later, still strive to metabolize, still strive to take in because, listen, we're not that different from the people who lived under the law, the people who lived under the Pax Deorum. We, We want rules, we want rituals, we want formula because we understand those things. And in a way, it kind of keeps us in control. Faith does none of those things. Faith blows all that up. Well, how how do we do this? And and I I struggle with this definition because I know it can sound like circular thinking, but I want to break it out for you and and maybe, maybe we can track together on this. But faith... Faith is not a concept to be understood. It's not an abstract thing. Faith is most fully expressed and understood when we live faithfully. When we we act upon that revelation of our righteousness. When we entrust the source of, the person, the one who makes us righteous. And, and maybe we understand it by understanding what faith is not. Faith is not a spell. Faith is often used spell-like. Whether it's quoting a Bible verse or, or trying to change something by, um, or manipulate is a better word, because we do believe prayer changes things, but, but trying to manipulate a circumstance by using the right religious words, you know? It's almost like we need a wand when we pray, the way we say our prayers. We're trying to use them as a spell. It's also not the reverse of that. That's a a very intentional way to do it. It's it's not the reverse. It's not the abdication of things. It's It's not a way of just accepting the way things are. If you go to the Muslim countries or you engage with Muslims on any level, you'll, you'll hear the term inshallah, as God wills, inshallah. Well, brother, where are we going today? Are we going to get to where we're going today? Inshallah, if God wills. Man, I'd love to see you again. Maybe we get together and have supper, inshallah, as God wills. And oftentimes this is just an abdication of responsibility the last thing you want to see on that truck barreling towards you on a road in Morocco is inshallah on the bumper. And I have seen that. And it's terrifying. Are we going to make it? Are we going to, are we going to be able to pass this other bus and get in? Well, inshallah. No, you drive and you make it. But this, this way, we use faith that way oftentimes, right? Well, are things going to change? How's it? I, I don't know. I just got to have faith. I just got to have faith. Inshallah. So neither is an intentional manipulation, nor is it just passive abdication. It's something very different than that. And one last thing that it's not, it's not the opposite of doubt. Faith actually encourages doubt. Faith calls you to doubt. Faith calls you to doubt your assumption on the way things work. Faith calls you to fight against the prevailing cultural narratives. Faith makes room for you to ask the most dangerous questions. Faith makes room for you to ask the deepest questions of the longings of your heart and the pain, the deepest place of pain. Faith makes room for that. Well, so what is it? Well, faith is is acting faithfully. It's acting faithfully to God, the Trinity. It's acting faithfully to what you know to be true that God has said about you. It's acting faithfully to God by by saying, God, I don't understand. I don't necessarily feel it. I may not get it, but yes, God, yes and amen to what you say, to what God says. Yes to the person of Jesus. Yes to Jesus' story being the predominant story of our life. Yes to the Spirit. When the Spirit speaks, we say, that one's going to be tough. But yes, that one scares me. But yes, I don't want to do that. But yes, we act faithfully towards God. We also act faithfully towards others. I love it's just so mind-bending when you read that we will no longer consider anyone else. Paul writes, we will no longer consider anyone else according to the flesh. But only according to the Spirit. Now, as believers, we no longer look at each other by, by intelligence or gender or economics. Those things are there. They're real. We take them into account, but that's not how we value them. We no longer value people along those lines. We value them as the righteousness of God, as brothers and sisters reconciled by Jesus. And so we are faithful to that of God in other people. We are faithful to others because of God's faithfulness to us. And so we put aside violence, and hatred and competition and selfishness and objectifying and abuse, and we treat people as the imago day that they are, individuals created in the image of God. If there is any hope for our society, if there is any hope for our world, it isn't that that we would treat each other as the Imago Day that each of us is. We're also faithful to this gathering, to the church, because we know that while, while the gospel is a unique faith event, Christianity is a unique faith event, this thing, this very pedestrian, time-bound, geography-bound thing that we do is also eternal. It's also mystical. It's also spiritual. Our gathering here is not the gathering of a club. We're not just an association. We're not a team. This is the church. This is the place where we come to worship God, hear God, know God, respond to God, to love each other. This is the central unifying place where we profess and practice our faith is together as the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church. We are called by God for God and then sent into the world to proclaim that to others. So we are faithful to the church. We're also faithful to the community around us. It's not exclusive. This faithfulness is not meant to be maintained within these sheet-rocked walls. But it is meant to be proclaimed to our community, a blessing to our community. We're faithful to the kingdom that extends throughout the world and out of eternity. And ultimately, we're faithful to ourselves. No longer do we treat ourselves with the disdain that is so often evident in our society. We lay aside addictions and self-abuse self-hatred. We stop the messages of shame and condemnation. And we believe about ourselves what God believes about us and declares about us. That's faith. That's acting faithfully in this world. And this faith is the thing. It's the ultimate thing that allows us to practice heart, mind, and soul. It brings together orthopraxis, orthopathos, and orthodoxy. It joins our affections, our actions, and our attitudes. This is the centralizing, unifying, metabolizing force that allows us to be holy, that allows us to be whole. So, we're no longer dismembered. We're no longer distracted. We're no longer cut apart. But we come together as one. You know, ultimately, um, Sean told a story as we were talking through this this week about getting certified on a, as a zip line specialist and about how he had to learn everything about tension strengths and safety measures to run a zip line. And the person who gets on the zipline, all they do is they just trust the person and clip in. Right? They don't know all that. They don't know the math. They don't know the engineering behind the zipline. They just clip on and go. It's similar when, when, when Jane and I would take people repelling, You know, we had learned all the knots. We had gone through all the courses. We had learned all the responses. But then we would ask people, literally, to have faith. To have faith. Clip in back up to the edge of that cliff, and step off. You're shaking your head, there Ain't no way. Others <laughs> over there, no, not me. <laughs> um, but that's, to me it's such, a, it's such a perfect illustration because that's what we do. You, I can't tell you how many times I've stood on the edge of the top of the mountain with the people all stepped in. They were strapped in. They were not going to fall. I had a belayer below who could stop the, stop the rope, stop them, double-checked, redundant systems of safety, and I was right beside them, and they would not go. They couldn't do it. They couldn't overcome. They couldn't step backwards off the cliff. And I, I, I think that's kind of like believing the gospel and not acting on it. I think that's kind of like the mental sense: Yes, I know there's a God. Yes, I know He's died for my salvation. And, but then nothing happens. Because you haven't stepped off and I think that's what faith is faith is this action it's this dynamic thing of trusting what has been set up for us and stepping off to go look the ultimate answer to life the universe and everything in it is not 42 it's also not work harder it's also not give up. It's also not be better educated or keep your vows or say your, say your prayers. Should we do those things? Well, yeah, probably in, in the right way at the right time. But the ultimate answer is the gospel. The ultimate answer is what God has done, is doing, and will do. The ultimate answer is walking that out. That's faith. Ask the worship team to come up as we transition into this time. Another act of faith that's coming to this table is standing up and walking up here, taking this tiny portion of bread and juice and understanding it as Christ's broken body for us. This very earthy, very tangible, very in some ways mundane reminder that we are not enemies of God. You are not an enemy of God. You have not been judged and found wanting. God's righteousness has been imputed to you, has been given to you, has been declared over you, has bathed you as if. You had never sinned. That you are not enemies of God, but you are His friends. And you are welcome at His table. Grace and peace, y'all.
1: Go with Hannah and may she do great things for God. We're gonna partner with her. No, 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 no. She's just a representative of what we should be doing. Are you with me? And if there's no jurisdiction for the gospel of people being saved, then then, then we have some work to do. I'm gonna move right on. No greater value placed on one person or position. So whether you're a CEO in this room or a team leader, I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you to get off your high horse and go in there and meet with some of your people on a lower level. I know this is the last time I'm going to speak here, but that's okay. (laughs) My friend told me this story. He said, for the first time in three years, my boss came out back. And this is what he said. I never knew you guys worked 70 hours a week. And he went, what? what? What Paul is saying here is if you're a person that you call yourself a Christian, then you should be serving your people, not your people serving you. Because if Jesus Christ had no idea of what was going on and man, it was time for people to spit on me and they decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to jump off the cross. I'm going to beat everybody up. I'm going to call it good and head back to the house. Why? I'm not going to give my son for you. And I love every single one of you, but I'm not gonna do it. He's nine, he's awesome. And I don't think any one of you would do it either. Everybody say, but God, God. who was rich in mercy, rich in grace. For those who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. That today we can assemble around the throne. Of God and we can praise him for who he is, but if I could translate you when they go over when she goes over to Africa to do her DTS, it's gonna be a whole different ball game. That if God could kind of drop us in there right now, we would feel like aliens. And we would go, is that how we're supposed to worship? You see, it's different when a person worships when they're desperate. It's different when you don't have any money and you're not sitting thinking about your bank account. I know it's the last time I'm going to speak. I'm I'm good with that. But but, but here's where we are. If we are Christians and we understand grace, then we should be having happy birthday to you. You know what I'm saying? And when we come here, man, we should be, I'm not saying you, you could be in a liturgical, you could be a person that's quiet, that's cool, that's great, but you wouldn't care if somebody else wanted want to kind of unwind. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not chastening you for how you worship. I am challenging your heart in worship. Are you with me? And then ultimately, love and grace compels a true Jesus follower. Have you ever had a cold? Simon says, raise your hand if you've ever had a cold. Okay, good. Because I was like, man, this is the healthiest group of people i ever had. I want to hang out here. What happens when you have a cold? What happens? Sneeze? What happened? Fever? Yeah. Anybody can talk to me. It's okay. It's his church. We're good. What happens? Yeah, mucus. <clears throat> I mean, but what did they tell you? Do they put you out in front of everybody or do they tell you to be what? Be inside. Don't be around anybody because if you do, you are. Hmm. And so they lock you up, put you in a room, give you whatever you need, give you some antibiotics, what? To get rid of the what? I got a question for your church. Have we been inoculated to the point that we're ineffective? Because someone wouldn't know if we were a true Jesus follower or not. Just a question. And so Paul is imploring them that if the grace of God has touched you in any way, shape, or form, you are compelled to love, especially those in the faith. And so if I'm around you and you're around me, there's things that are going to happen around me. You know, if I'm doing things right, stuff happens. Everybody say stuff happens. And the things that happened in my life are really, really good. Like, this is fruit. What's amazing about this fruit, Ben, you can come at this point, is that inside of this fruit is not just one piece of fruit. But what's inside of this fruit are seeds and the fruit. Are you with me? I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. So if I planted this apple, how many apples would I get? A lot. In the book of Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, we have... A man standing with a coat watching this one seed die. And it scatters. They're planted and the church absolutely explodes. And what Paul uses as a way to reach back into the Old Testament, to bring back into the book of Galatians, he says a seed. And he said, you are a part of Abraham's seed. Hmm. So that if you were planted in a location, come on now, that it's just not one convert's gonna be converted. There would be an expectation placed on the seed that it would not just produce one apple. But how many? Hmm. So, that if the grace of God is true, the grace of God is real, then we ourselves are pictures of the grace of God ourselves. Because we're just Psalms 1 planted by the waters to bring forth fruit in its season. The leaves they shall not wither, but whatever they do prospers. So the grace of God is on you today. As you compel compelled to take the steps of faith in your life. I want you to walk out today thinking two things. One, I am a gift and I've received a gift. Everybody said I'm a gift. Everybody said I receive his gift. If you haven't, that means you don't know who Jesus Christ is. And today could be the very first day that you would be able to walk in the, in the combustible power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, God was not built and church was not built just to stand up and have a great time. Now, I'm going to tell you something about these apples. They've been around for a while. Just like some of us. Some are dented. Some look younger. Some look younger than others. But we plant those things for a reason. Today, I want you to experience the grace of God. I want you to remember the grace of God. I want you to walk in the grace of God. I want you to produce because of the grace of God. I'm going to close with this story. I know I've run too long. David, who loved Jonathan so much, was searching for a way to reach out to the family of Jonathan and he found Mephibosheth and through their interaction he said I love you so much because I loved Jonathan and from this Time forward, you will always be welcomed at my table. And Mephibosheth thinking, man, I—what did, did I do? I'm just a nobody. But there's no distinction, you see. There's no whether you're crippled or not. Doesn't matter. You have a soul. I love your father. And if I love your father, I love you. You know, what's so amazing about God is some people don't even love God, but he still loves them anyway. There may be some issues in your life right now that you're battling with God over. God is not turning his back on you today, church. God's going to love you anyway. And as we come to the table of the Lord, the Lord says continually, I love you. And you're more than welcome to come and partake at the banquet table of the Lord. My prayer for you today is that you would be unmovable, unshakable, have an unquenching thirst for Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.6 says this, if you call yourself a Christian, then walk like Jesus walked. And if you do, you will be so fragrantly attractive that we will have to shoo the souls away from you. Because you are so permeating with the aroma of the grace of God. Can I pray for you before we transition into the table of the Lord today? Father, I thank you for every single person here. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, if there's someone here that's not right with you, I pray that today that the grace of God would compel them, cover them, would connect with them today. I thank you, Father, that you place no delineation on souls. And may the grace of God the unmerited favor of God that raised Jesus from the dead be alive and awake and well in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for
0: listening to the weekly podcast from Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you have any comments or questions or would like to know more about us, visit gracechurchnwa.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram too. We hope you join us again soon. In the meantime, grace and peace and have a great week.